Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. But you know what? It's more than that. We want to help you thrive in the midst of today's cancel culture. Our goal is to raise up workplace warriors who will stand for what they believe in, whatever the cost. You can find out more by visiting expertownership.com. But without further ado, here we go. Welcome back to the Expert Ownership Podcast. This is John Matthewson here, and I'm excited today. Today, we've got another interview and maybe somewhat of a new, newer name, but David Hoffman is here with me today, and he's close friends with the Benhams and knows them well. In fact, even in his book, which we're going to talk about today, David and Jason wrote um, a little excerpt where they call it a foreword, I think, right about it. And so I, I have I, I read David's book last night in one sitting because it was really good. And I'll tell you, I've I'm an avid reader. I read a lot of books and David is very vulnerable and willing to share his past, which I'm excited to get into, but then also to share what he's doing in the marketplace. And and I'll read his intro here just so we have a little bit of context too. But uh, David Hoffman, he's an economist in Washington, DC. So he's a numbers. I don't know how you ever did that, man. That's really, that's not me. I'm a people person. That's totally data stuff. But before moving to Charlotte, that's, that's what he did. And then he moved to Charlotte in 2005 and he founded David Hoffman Realty, uh, an Inc. 5000 fastest growing privately held company in, in the US. And then he put them all together. Then all of a sudden he started um, two others, started a title company, Beyond Title and Covenant First Mortgage. And he kind of had the perfect trifecta if you're familiar with real estate. And but there's so much in there. David has his wife, Jessica. They live in Charlotte now with their two boys, Kane and Nye. And Isabella. And I was going to say that. I, he- I heard that in a, another interview, right? You have Isabella. Yeah, yeah, How old is she? Um, she turns 10 tomorrow, man. And um, okay. I didn't know her three months ago, but God obviously did. And three years ago, it was on our heart to start focusing on adopting, but we didn't go that route. Wow. God said, I'm going to put this precious little girl in your life. So the other day, she asked my she asked my wife if I would take her to the daddy-daughter dance next month. So we've got oh, two man. boys and a little girl now. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. I can't. I probably won't be on this one. I can't wait to hear the story behind that. Those are always amazing stories of God working. How old are Cain and Knox, by the way? Nine and a half and six and a half. So they're wide okay. open. They're, okay. they're all wide open. <laughs> <laughs> love it. So so what I love about this, what I one of the reasons I'm excited is because David's in the thick of it. He's not out of everything. He is in the middle of it. And a lot of the stories and examples that he gives are what he's doing right now. And so that's that's one thing that I'm real. I appreciate that a lot. And I think if, if you're a part of the community or just tune, tuning in, I think you generally generally uh, subscribe to people like that a little bit more because they're in it with you. When somebody has that high level of success, it's a little bit hard to be relatable. We were just talking about that actually right before. And so, but David's in the thick of it. And so wrote, wrote a book, Seven Principles, A Relationship Over Rules, Seven Principles to Lead Gracefully and Love Generously. And uh, you can get, get it on his website, Relationship Over Rules. We'll mention it a couple of times. Um, that's his uh, book website, also David Hoffman Realty.com. But David, really to lay the groundwork here. Well, I think before we get into it, I wanted to ask you a question. So I didn't go into all the, your marketplace success, but David is very successful and became a very successful agent pretty quick. And and I'm, I have a real estate background. So even in reading the numbers and what he did, it's not normal. And so, but what I want to do is I want to jump ahead real quick and say, what was it? You're successful in the marketplace what prompted you to jump into this writing a book? Uh, because I feel like that 
that's a different mindset to get into. And when you're successful in the marketplace and you've got all this stuff going, you got business employees, kids, what was it that made you think about writing a book? Yeah, man, that's a great question, John. I mean, um, I'm always three minutes in three years. So I'm three minutes right now with you and, and the gang watching and listening. And then three years, I think you can change the world in three years. You know, three years ago was a pandemic. You know, no one wants to go back there. When the pandemic began, John, there's two things God put on my heart. One, they tell my story before the pandemic's over. And um, and two, well, in the next three years, I was hoping it'd be over way before then. Um, and then two, to at least start the process of having a little girl through adoption, you know, through fostering, um, if that was God's plan. And and when you know where you want to be when you grow up, when you know God's plan for you, Jeremiah 29, 11, because he's going to prosper and you're not going to be harmed, then you know how to say yes and find the right yes. And so when it came to the book piece, actually, David, um, your partner in crime, was the one who introduced me to my agent who I had to fight for months and months because you know he didn't have the time. And and then um, other doors opened with a writer. And after it was done, I had this amazing Christian publisher, Broad Street Publishing. And now God's just doing amazing things like with this interview today. Um, but but God said in the next three years, your story needs to be told, your story for my glory. And so it was a lot of hours. But your adversity, John, it gives you perspective to be grateful in little things. So for me, I was just grateful to have an opportunity. I'm going to give it my all. For me, it's not extra work. For me, I'm not worrying about losing a client by writing a book because I'm just grateful. I just have that perspective because I had such little. Um, and so the other thing for three years, the other not goal, but um, opportunity to serve was to bring a little girl into our life. And so a, a few months ago, my wife, through a distant relative, learned of her, this woman had died. She had a lot of uh, challenges and, and this little girl was left essentially alone, an orphan. And it was a really tough situation, but we just answered the call. And we were able to answer the call because we knew God's plan for us. We didn't know exactly what it looked like. We didn't know her name. We didn't know what she looked like. Or, you know, we thought maybe it would be just a normal adoption process. Um, and it didn't go that way. You know, like I, I didn't think the book, I didn't have a name for the book. I didn't think the book would look like it did. I didn't think I'd have an agent or a writer or a publisher. I just thought, how do I just get it out there to encourage people? But so when the pandemic started, the book was just one of the two things that God put on my heart that within the next three years, you're going to say yes. And um, and so funny is I asked David because I read all of his and Jason's books and and he's a fellow believer and they're in the marketplace as well. And 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 so he opened some doors for me and then other relationships opened more doors. And the rule said I never should have done it. Mm -hmm. I should have been self-publishing at best. The rule said I should have focused on my kids and my business. The rule said I should say later, later and then have regret. Let the devil just keep distracting and dividing. But when you have relationships in your life, you just can't turn away from them. And so it all came together. And I do believe it's a, a beautiful testimony for him to pass forward. Hope it makes sense. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And and if you're listening right now, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask David to go into kind of his childhood a little bit. And I want you to really pay attention because so far, if you don't know David or not, you know you've heard of a book called Relationship Over Rules and you've probably heard of other books similar or that relationships are important, especially if you're in our community and you follow us and you're a kingdom-minded business owner, you know relationships are important. But just like all of us, we all have circumstances in our life that God promises and he will bring together for good. And that's how this book came about. But if you hear, and I want you to really listen in on the backstory because to be able to come, it's almost a 180 from where he was and your upbringing 
to writing a book about relationships really just it makes me scratch my head even still in this interview. So um, take me back. You're two years old, I think, right? And your life radically uh, changes. You know, you may have not known it then, but uh, something happens to your mom. And so take us through that story a little bit. Yeah, no, thanks, John. And even before two years old, you know, my mom was pregnant with me. Um, and that's where it all begins, right? Um, my mom has multiple sclerosis. It's 1979. The doctors warn her. They say, have this baby. Best case, you paralyze. Worst case, you die. You're not going to make it through this birth um, with, you know, without loss of some level. And she chooses life, thankfully. Mm. And she's paralyzed from the waist down. Um, she looked perfectly fine before. She probably could have lived a normal life, absent of having a, bo- a baby. But she delivered me. And mm. uh, she sacrificed her life for me. And so when I was two, um, you know, my father and I left. And, um, and then you know, my father remarried and, you know, I've, I've learned to forgive, but you also have to, you know, you have to just know where you came from, um, mm-hmm. and know that God was working at all. And so I would visit my mom a few times a year, you know, five, six, seven, 10, 15 years old. I don't have a car. So it's only when my stepmother, you know, my father, before he left when I was 11, then my stepmother, a few times a year, I, I would get to see my mom. And um, it would be for a few hours, John. So it would be like three or four trips, three or four hours at a time. So 10 hours a year I'd spend with this beautiful, God-fearing, God-loving woman who, you know, for three hours we would talk and laugh and we watched the mm-hmm. movie Stand By Me. Now there's been so many times that my wife and I will, will hear Stand By Me on a boat in Mexico when everyone's speaking Spanish or, you know, let's just sit in for one song before we go to bed. Oh, it's going to be same on me. And it's always on my mom's birthday. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. mom, I get it. Like you're here. And wow. so I visit my mom a few times a year. And every time I'm there, it was just beautiful, but I never wanted to leave. And, and, you know, I've learned through the love of Jesus and his grace, how to forgive. And so, you know, I, I believe that my adversity of not feeling a lot of love at home, spending a lot of time in my bedroom, you know, there's no kitchen in my bedroom. So, you know, I, I, I would eat meals and drink, but not much. You know, and as a growing boy, you know, I'd get really thirsty or need food. And so I'd have to get really creative at times. Um, But the biggest question I would ask is, God, if you exist and you're a good God, why am I not with my mom? Why would you take her only child away? Why would you take her legs away? Why would you take our spouse away? Her ability to love, to work, to why am I not with my mom? And, and, um, And so it was tough. It was tough, one, because I wasn't with my mom. And that's just not common you know, to take someone away from their mother, a little boy. But two, it was tough because I felt like I was in a house where I was alone and um, on many levels. And and so it was really challenging. And, you know, there's more in the book. And, you know, um, we, we unpack a lot more in the book. But um, yeah, you know, I hope, so I, and I hope everybody just I'll stop you one second. I hope everybody hears that. I mean, so your mom makes a choice to have you and becomes a paraplegic after, correct? And yes. At you're two years old and dad decides to go out and leave your mom. Do you, do you have conscious memory of that? Do you remember that? I don't remember the two. I remember like yeah. four or five. And when you're going to so, visit her some. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, I, I, um, I struggled a lot growing up where like I couldn't leave my room and, you know, like, so I would go in the bathroom and I would drink bath water. But one time I you know, I remember the babysitter was asked, you know, did he leave the room? 
well, yeah, I heard the bathwater running. So I'm like, well, I'm thirsty. So I moved to the toilet water. I couldn't go downstairs. You know, this isn't a hotel. I don't have a mini fridge in my room. And, and, and so, you know, there was times that I'd go in the basement to eat dog food because, you know, I couldn't, you know, the food was being counted. I had food, don't get me wrong. I wasn't starving, but I felt like I was because I was a growing boy. But more wow. important than that, see, for me, that's that's perspective. I'm grateful, John. I wouldn't want it for someone else, but for me, it gave me perspective. I don't need a lot. I don't need a fancy dinner. I don't need abundance. You know, I just need little because I had that perspective. And I learned that from my own upbringing, but I also learned that watching my mom because when I became a husband and a father, I looked back and I was like, wow. How did my mom smile? How did my mom laugh? Mm. How was she so joyful in such darkness for decades? Uh, you know, fast forwarding when I was 23, my mom was really proud of me. You know, I was working as an economist, like you said, I was becoming a sports agent. I always loved sports and I really got to play on much. But I was the expert on the jock tax, how athletes are taxed when they travel, and and um all these doors were opening for me. My mom's telling me on the phone how proud she is. And I and she said, I want to see you. I miss you. I was like, I miss you too. But I'm so self-righteous. I'm so selfish. The world owes me so much from decades of like neglect and lack of love that I don't rush the next day to see her. You know, mm-hmm. I'm in DC. She's in New York City. So I wait a few weeks and sure enough, I get a call that she died. I had no idea that she was sick. Wow. I, won't, wow. I won't know until I get to heaven if she knew how sick she was and didn't want me to worry or if she didn't know. But um that was my one regret. Everyone says no mm. regrets, John. But sometimes, sometimes we make a mistake, and you hope you can learn from it to not do it twice. And so, for me, I learned when someone has an opp- when you have an opportunity to serve, when you have an opportunity to show love or grace, just do it. Like don't don't wait. Um, but growing up, yeah, any challenges growing up, the lack of love ironically enough, is why I appreciate people so much now. Like you said, you're a people person. I'm not a people pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. But what I learned, John, is when you don't have relationships, you value them. You know, when you don't you don't have much, you value anything. And so for me, I, I, um, I always just wanted one person to give me a chance. I just wanted one person to say yes, one person to let me show how I can help or I can be a friend. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, like those relationships are so invaluable because I knew what it felt like to not have them. Um, wow. You know, if, if that made sense. Yeah. So you're forced into the situation that, you know, I, I don't think many of us can really wrap our heads around unless you go through a similar situation like that growing up where, I mean, you, you couldn't leave your room for hours at a time, right? Or ever, unless um, special occasion or something like that, going to school. and I just can't imagine, you know, I, we hear the other side of it, but as you're growing up, I mean, how, what kept you, was it just your mom that kept you from developing a hardness and a bitterness to just shut everything out because of the way you were treated in your home? What was it that kept that door open for you? Yeah. I mean, as a 43 year old man, John, I got saved at 29. Today I say it's Jesus. Um, growing up, I went back and forth between hating God and mm. just agreeing to disagree. You know, I go back and forth and I'm like, God, if you do exist, I don't think you do, but if you do exist, let's just agree to disagree that you don't have time for me. You know, I send the book, like I'm mm. a Yankees fan. I love, you know, like sports yeah. are my way to relate, just watching it on my TV in the room. And, and, um, and so I was like, God, you know, if you do exist and I'm not positive, you do, you know, I was raised Jewish. I yeah. don't think you do. 
because I don't know how a good guy lets all this happen. Let's just agree to disagree because I would not be leading the world this way. Um, you know, that's a great question. I, 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 uh, I think I was more sad than mad. Mm. Um, no one ever laid a hand on me. Um, it just always felt like a lack of love. Um, mm. You know, it was never, you know, there was screaming and, you know, we all, look, I've yelled at my kids before, like, don't get me wrong, you know, um, but, but, but they know I love them and I try to explain and you know, spare the rod, spoil the sun, right? And so mm -hmm. it was more sadness, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I just, I just wanted to be loved so much that like when I got an opportunity, um, it was almost easy. Now I've learned to not let people lift me up because then they're going to let you down. But, but for the longest time, I just wanted people in my life. I just wanted someone that like would know my heart and, and mm -hmm. I could like myself. You know, I started working at like eight years old, you know, um, shoveling snow for neighbors, you know, raking leaves and washing cars and it made me money. And so I learned to work ethic at a very young age. So I'm grateful for that. I mean, um, sometimes I worry my boys have too much, you know, and, and, um, and so I just always, I was just kind of focused on, on making something of a, my mom sacrificing her life. Mm. She would most likely be here today, if not for me, right? If she never delivered me, she might be on a pill right now for multiple sclerosis yeah. um, versus dying when I'm 23, you know, yeah. almost 20 years ago. And, um, and so I had that perspective that, that my life had to have meaning, um, because my mom sacrificed and I had mm. to have that perspective that, um, I, I just had to get creative. I had to get creative to, to make some money for some extra food. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and for me it was easy because like anytime I had an opportunity to go outside, you know, um, to, to play by myself, you know, I really didn't have many real friends, you know, friends are my friend long enough to, like I said in the book, like to throw eggs in my house because yeah. you know, I was like, I my best friend, you know, it's not cool. Cause I was a weird kid, you know, like I'm the weird kid could never go anywhere. I can't eat much food at school. Like I'm allergic to everything. Like it's just, so I guess it's a great question and I'm not giving the best answer. I really believe God was working yeah. and giving me peace yeah. uh, in the storm. You know, it, it, it was kind of like my version of Job where, um, where like all this stuff's happening around him, but he was almost protected, um, you know, or Joseph, you know, when Joseph gets out of jail, you know, after being accused of rape, he goes and protects his brothers. He doesn't like have malice or he's not vengeful for yeah. them. You know, Paul in the prison, there's always beautiful stories of so many, I'm sure you've had challenges. And so you know, my biggest challenge was I told my mom I was going to visit her and I didn't get there in time. Mm. You know, I had no perspective that she wouldn't be, she was only 52. I had no yeah. idea. I had no idea. Um, but I want to encourage people that everyone has a story. Yeah. I want to encourage people that God has big plans for each and every one of you. And that um, where you came from is not where, you, where you're going. It's not who you are. And so I think for me, again, like there was no malice, there's more sadness and I just longed to have purpose. I just longed to be relevant as a boy, as a man. Um, I almost felt invisible, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. and so I think I've always been an overachiever. Um, and, and I think it's because of that independence, you know, of mm -hmm. like always like fighting, you know. Um, yeah. and, but again, that's it's a blessing. You know, you don't want adversity. But when you look back, that adversity gives you the perspective 
it allows for gratitude that otherwise you may not have had. Yeah. I mean, I, I just listening to you, I didn't, I obviously didn't know your mom at all, but I can imagine and see that the depth of her faith and her conviction and her love that she must have had, because I, I hear it in you and, and knowing somewhat of your background, that has to be where it came from. And, um, it has to be where one of, one of the things that really started that relationship importance, um, to you is the depth. And that, that's just so moving. Like she's a powerful lady to be able to do that and, and to listen and, and get the book. Like I'm telling you, you need to read the full story, um, and go in depth again, go to relationship and get the book because you can just hear and see in his mom's story and in his story, um, just the faith that she had and the conviction she had and the love, like the love that she had, uh, is so powerful. So yeah. walk us through, um, what's next. So 23 year an economist in DC, um, and, and we're not, we're not gonna spend forever again, let, read it in the book. Cause he's not just some guy behind uh, a desk doing, he's creating this, uh, niche out of nowhere that didn't exist yet and getting some really, really important contact. So read that part. That part is really neat. But then talk to, talk to us about the transition from going there, losing your mom to all of a sudden North Carolina comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Absolutely, John. And, and and by the way, I have to share, not because it's about selling a book, yeah. but um, the crazy thing is the rules say that, um, that the, this book can't get out there and that it has to be self-published. The crazy thing is you can go on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Books, you can go anywhere and buy it. I go to local Barnes and Nobles are all up front with Tim Tebow and, wow. and Angram Lotz and Lisa Turkers. And I'm like, what, what is the Jew from New York book doing up here? <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, even being on with you and, yeah. and it's just, it's all the rules say this shouldn't be happening. But, um, you know, I got the job as an economist at 21 years old. Um, Mark Crane, who um, was my professor, he had an opportunity and he said, Hey, I've got an opportunity. I said, yes. He said, well, I haven't even told you what it is. I'm like, well, no one ever says yes, so I'm going to say yes. No one ever says yes to me. I'm going to say yes to you because I respect. I love you. that part of the book, by the way. Yeah. That was awesome. Find a way yeah. to say yes. And um, and I was only 21. I think my interview was on 9 12 2001 in DC. Um, and 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 so I got the job. I'm an economist, and we got a call on the jock tax, how athletes are taxed when they travel. And you know, I'm a I'm a young guy. I'm 21, and so the chief economist says, "Hey, you like sports, right?" I mean, yeah, of course I do. So he's like, well, we got this call about the jock tax. And I'm just ignorant enough, a little naive enough, John, to um, be like, okay, I'll dig into this. I'll fight for these athletes. Yeah. And I said some stupid stuff. You know, I, I went to Cincinnati City Council and I'm fighting for Ken Griffey Jr. I think he was on the Reds at the time. And like, do you really feel bad for him and Shaquille O'Neal? And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, they're lifetime earnings. And so I said some stupid stuff, but not inaccurate. I just learned fast how to be relatable yeah. with truth, care and candor. Mm. But what's special is, you know, this is not a conversation about tax policy, not a conversation about how athletes are taxed, but it started opening doors. And that's why my mom said on the phone how proud she was. I think she would have been proud no matter what, obviously. But, you know, I was on ESPN and Sports Center and Wall Street Journal and I'm writing books and all these things are happening. But it's all because of me, John. Like, I'm very self-righteous and selfish and I'm like dating all these girls and I'm telling everyone how great I am. And I'm like, I'm still a nice guy. I still think I'm a nice person. Um, but I just like, see, I told you, God, I didn't need you. Mm. And, um, and so then, you know, then like I'm on the phone, with my mom, she's like, I'm sending her clippings of all these news articles and all these things I'm doing. And she's like, well, I want to see you. I'm proud of you. You're my son. 
she can't come to me because she's in a wheelchair, but I absolutely could have went to her the next day. So after I lost her and, um, you know, that regret of not saying goodbye, you know, I'm at the funeral, open casket, see my mom with dark brown hair. I, I, like, I just, this is the one person who showed me unconditional love. Um, I come back and I'm getting ready to speak at a sports and entertainment law conference and I'm going through my bills. I've always kind of prepared in advance, you know, um, again, just things I learned growing up of not hoarding by any means. I understand the Israelites had enough manna for the day. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm three minutes and three years, but I also want to be early. I want to prepare for others. I don't want to leave someone standing. And so I'm paying my bills in advance because I'm going to spend the night in Baltimore. And I came across her a reminder card for an MS walk. And it was that next day, same day as the conference. And I just emailed the head of this conference. This is a big sports and entertainment law conference. All these athletes and, you know, a lot of them liked me and the Bengals did not bed and they were grateful for me and other athletes. I had a sports agency that was going to bring me in. Like I said, a lot of doors opening because I was fighting for those that no one else would fight for. And I just said, I can't do it. I have to do the MS walk. And so I did the MS walk. And I, I burned the bridge, but it's not a regret. I couldn't have a second regret. And my friends, when they found out in D.C., and by the way, they came to my book launch last month in Charlotte. You know, one of them drove all night and day, and the other two came the day before, but they wow. all drove like seven hours each way just for one day together. And um, they said, well, Dave, you love people, and you love real estate. Well, no, I don't really know anything about real estate as an economist, but this was 2004, John. So. If anyone remembers 2004, I was making 27,000 and, uh, you know, and the loan officer was like, don't you mean 72? And I'm like, I guess I do mean 72. And, you know, and, and um, I was using access checks to pay my rent so I can use my cash to put down on a house that I couldn't afford. And I'm buying condos at the beach with no money down and pick to pay and you get a house and you get a house like Oprah style. And so I think people thought I was a lot smarter than I was. Um, but they're like, Dave, man, you should just get into real estate. You love people. And. And um, you love real estate. And well, I love people because I never had anyone that loved me outside of my mom, I felt like. Mm. And I loved real estate. I didn't love real estate. I just was starting to dabble in it. So I started the process in Virginia, but um, I was dating someone who left me when she thought I only proposed because of my mom passing. And so she moved to Charlotte and I chased her. And, and um, you know, God used that relationship to get me to Charlotte. God used that relationship to change my trajectory and to move me next door to a very famous person who I became dear friends with. And, and then, and then I took him out for his birthday and, and the limo driver was hitting on this young lady at the bar. She ended up being my wife. Um, and, and that all happened the day after getting saved. So there's more to the story. When yep. I moved to Charlotte, when I moved to Charlotte, I'm driving down to Charlotte and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? I went on the contract on a townhouse in Huntersville from, from DC. So I knew my real estate agent, you know, from texts and emails. I knew no one in Charlotte. I knew nothing about Charlotte. I knew nothing about real estate. I left my dream job in DC behind. I left all my friends behind, but I felt like I had nothing. So why not leave and, you know, chase the one person that might still be there. And I'm driving down to Charlotte, John, and um, I come across these three principles that I thought they were me. I thought I was really smart. I wasn't. But they came from God before I knew them. And I was thinking to myself, like, I know no one in Charlotte. I just need to make one friend. If I can make one friend, I have a fighting chance. But then I started thinking, like, well, people don't mix business and personal because they don't know if their friend is the expert in that space. 
if I'm going to be in the marketplace and I'm going to be the friend, I got to be the expert because I can't fake it till I make it. Because when I was working as a businessman at eight, nine, 10 years old as an entrepreneur, I had to add real value. I couldn't rake the leaves and just leave the pile. I couldn't shovel the snow, but leave it on the windshield where it would ice up. I couldn't wash the cars with dirty water or not take the soap off. I have to finish what I start. So I need to be the expert. Then I started thinking if I have a chance to be a husband and a father one day, I need to be present in their lives. I want to be there for my wife, for everything. I want to be there for my kids if I was fortunate enough to have, which obviously I do now. Thank the Lord. And I want to be there present for anyone who gives me a chance. And so those three guiding principles to this day are something I, I live by. Now, God wasn't in the center in 05. He was working, hmm. you know, but I didn't know him until 2009 because I came to Charlotte. Like you said, I hit the ground running 46 homes as a rookie. And, you know, people say like, wow, that's crazy. Like back then they're like, how are you doing that? And for me, it was easy. And, and, and it, it sounds weird, but for me, no one knew me as their son's best friend from high school or college. No one knew me as the gym teacher. No one knew me as a nurse who changed careers or a stay-at-home dad. No one knew me as anything else. So I had to be the expert. I had to be the friend. I had to be present. And so I was meeting people where they were. And I was learning the good deals and the bad deals. And I was becoming the expert that people need. But I was also being there as a friend to meet people where they were because I feel like I never got that. Um, and then like you, I'll, you're being very present today. I, I said, look, being present is easy for me because I spent a lot of time in my room learning how to be present, no mm-hmm. codependency, just, you know, thinking a lot, you know, focusing on what little relationships or opportunities that did come. And so that was a blessing for me. You mm-hmm. know, that, that perspective that I was moving to Charlotte with no expectations and no people in my life. I'm like, well, that's where I came from. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's not right. that big a deal. I don't, I don't need a lot. Um, you know, that's why Paul in the prison, you know, he, he never lost Jesus. He didn't need a lot. He didn't need a warm bed. He had enough. And, and, um, and, and so for me, it was almost easy, you know, because hard work is easy. Hard work is a privilege. Hard work is a blessing. You know, my mom didn't have the ability to give hard work. You know, it was hard work for her to get off the bed with the aid every morning. It was hard work for her to not cry in front of her only child who was taken from her. I have to imagine now as an, as a father. Um, and so for me, nothing I do, there's a lot of difficulties in my life today. I just want to make sure everyone hears. No one's life is perfect. We're not called for bliss on this side. But hard work is a privilege. And every true relationship in your life is a gift. I think a lot of times we focus, especially in the marketplace, we focus on the transaction. And then the transaction ends, John, and we move on. But for that person, that's when life really begins. And for us, that's when the relationship really begins. Because we, because if you end the transaction and move on, what we tell our client or our customer who they look at us as a friend, they picked us up or so many other people, they see it as, okay, well, I paid you, so you're done with me. You know, I gave you consideration, so you don't need anything else from me. And that's not a relationship. A relationship is when you can give unconditionally, unilaterally without receiving. And so I just want to encourage people that, when the transaction ends, that's when they need to start the relationship. Yeah, that that's so, so good. I, I hear two things there. You didn't necessarily say that. You said the one hard hard work is a privilege. That's a powerful statement. Uh, really, to shift our perspective and our paradigm on that. And two, the other thing that I heard in there is that hard work looks different for each of us. You know, my dad used to have a saying, and he used to say, "Everybody thinks they're the hardest worker, 
Like he talked to the guy who spends five hours at home watching TV and then does whatever at work. Like he'll tell you he's the hardest worker he knows. But I think hard work, like you just referenced your mom, like it looks different for everybody. Your hard work, whatever it is today is different than mine. And, but it's all privilege. It's all privilege. And if we frame it the right way, um, is so powerful, man. Okay. So take us back to the limo night. So Jessica mentioned in the story, um, that one of the first things she noticed about you was your vulnerability. And I'm curious as to where, where that came from. Did you always have that? Was it just a one moment you were vulnerable in that moment? Where did that vulnerable, especially looking at how you were brought up, how did you develop or where did that vulnerability come from? You know, in 2008, I had my best year of my career, John. I made more money than I could imagine. Five, six, seven, eight. I'm selling a lot of houses. I'm making lots of money. You know, my friend lived next door to me. We both had big houses. He's famous. We both think we have all this money. And and um, then the economy crashed. And um, I had a I had a short marriage that didn't work because you know we were friends, but there was no firm foundation of faith. And um, when the money dried up, the relationship kind of soured. And and I'll never forget, I was at a dinner with some friends right before I met Jessica, and it was time to pay. And it was three couples. It was two couples and then a young lady. They're trying to set me up on like kind of a blind date. And, and so I was like, I'm just going to pay. But that's what I do. You know, I'm a successful real estate agent. I make lots of money. I can take care of myself. So I give my card. And the waiter comes back, and he kind of laughs. And he's like, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm a Red Sox fan. Your card's no good because it's a Yankees credit card. And I giggle and everyone laughs and and they make some side comments. And then he kind of pauses and then he walks over to me and he whispers in my ear. He's like, Mr. Hoffman, you know, your car was declined. And this is like January, 2009. And so on one hand, I just sold like 70 homes a year before and uh, with fairly low overhead. And so I'm like rock and roll. And I feel like on the other hand, I'm going through a divorce. I'm going through the worst economy ever. I've got like four people living in my house to help pay the mortgage living above my means, you know, and, and so I go to the bathroom, I, I call and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? I've got a big limit on here. I don't have a high balance. And I'll never forget the the gentleman goes, he asked me this question, John, he goes, I see you're a real estate broker. Do you have another career? I said, no. And he's like, are you sure? Is there any other income coming in? I'm like, no, you know, I made this much money last year. He's like, well, how much money are you making today? And um, I was like, I don't know. Like, why are you saying this? I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting anxious. I'm not yet saved because I'm still holding on tight. I'm still holding on real tight. And I'm starting to get a little self-righteous. I'm like, do you know how much money I made last year? He's like, sir, we all made that much money last year. How much money did you make last week? And, um, you know, January 2009, I'm in real estate. <laughs> that was not yep. a fun time. Yeah. Um, and, and you remember that time. And, and so and he's like, sorry, sir, you sound frustrated. I'm like, yeah, because I can't pay for dinner. Can I at least have the 200 and some dollars to pay for the six dollars dinner. He's like, sir, I'm sorry. Your limit was brought down to your balance. I started crying in a bathroom a Saturday night up in Burkdale village. And, and, um, I'll never forget. And, and so I text one of my friends at the table. I said, please don't ask the questions. Just bring me your credit card. I'll pay you back. I promise. So he brought me his credit card and I paid the meal. And while I was gone, you know, they made some jokes and like, Hey, my card, you know, it gets scratched. doesn't work. And I just kind of like try shrug it off. Like, well, let's go get a glass of wine. And the five of them wanted to keep going. And I'm like, I can't. I went in my car and I just cry in the garage for hours and hours. And I said, God, if you're if you're real, 
you took my mom, you took mm. her health, you took her physically, you took my you took my wife, you took my business, like you've taken everything, like like now you've taken my dignity, what's left? Mm. And um and I didn't hear him that night, but um I told a dear friend the next day, um, and um he said, Let's go to church. And I don't want to go to church, but I was just tired, man. So I just went and I, the pastor was like, is your name David? Are you in real estate? Are you going through a divorce? Is your life tough? Were you raised Jewish? Did you grow up in New York? Are you six feet tall with dark brown hair? Are you in better shape today than later? Because as you get older, your metabolism slows down. And, and I'm like, wait, is no one else here? And it was a pretty big church, man. Like I was like, yeah. I, looked, I looked at my friend and I was like, man, like, is this is all for me? And he's like, yeah, man, God's talking right to you. And I don't think anything of it. A couple of days later, me and Justin, we go to lunch at Dragon House Buffet in Woodlawn. And, and and he looks at me. He's like, how you doing, man? And I'm like, I'm just tired, man. Like, God just, I was talking to God last night after the church and on Sunday. And, and I just, I just heard God audibly say, you've tried it your way long enough. Give it to me. And, um, but I didn't tell Justin that part. I just, I heard that. And he's just like, how you doing? I was like, I'm just tired. I'm getting ready to cry. I'm like really tired, man. I'm just, I'm not physically tired. I'm in decent shape at this time. I'm just tired, man. I'm just like, and I'm sure so many people on this podcast will be like, yeah. that was me last night. That was me last week. Like you just, no matter how hard you work, like you're saying earlier, you're just tired. Like nothing's going right. Like, you know, no matter how hard I fight for my marriage or for my kids or my business, like I just can't get ahead, you know? And and I'm like, man, I'm just tired. And he goes, well, you've tried your way long enough. Why don't you give it to God? And I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't God just tell me that last night? Wow. And so I start crying. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. And so I gave my life to Jesus. Um, that was a Tuesday, February 24th, 2009. The next night was my friend's birthday. We go out for dinner. And the limo driver starts hitting on Jessica at the bar. And um, he goes to the bathroom. He says, save my seat. Hmm. Jessica gives me five minutes. And, um, and then she leaves. And, um, and the rest is, you know, kind of history. Um, my neighbor moved away, you know, new neighbor, I move away, but, but God put this family in my life, put this situation, everything was, you know, it's kind of like a puzzle. Like, you know, you see it on the box. We don't get to see it on the box, right? Mm-hmm. We have to kind of just go through all these pieces and not know what it's going to look like, but God already has the box. He already has the picture on the box. Sometimes we don't flip the right piece. We don't put it in the right place, but he has the picture. He has this beautiful portrait um sometimes it takes a long time for us to follow his plan john but you know and, and there's been a lot of ups and downs since then um but i know that god has been there for everything and he's there with us today and so i just want to encourage people if it was 10 20 50 years ago or if it's last night or this morning i just want to encourage people that god is not the author of anything bad or evil and that he's still working through all things together for our good mm. you know um i had a friend who was discouraged recently i was like man i'm just gonna load you up right now I'm going to start with Jeremiah 29, 11, just to remind you that he has a plan for you and for you to prosper and not be harmed. But then I'm going to go right behind that with another popular verse of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, because you're probably pulling out the Excel spreadsheet, like, where are my plan is this? And you're trying to make it all figure out, but it doesn't make sense. And then I'm going to remind you about Romans 8, 28, like he's working all things together. And like, and and it just, the Bible is just beautiful because when you read it, it just, you have to, you can't just read one chapter. You read the whole book last night in my book. can't imagine because it's not as much there as, you know, even one page of the Bible, but you got to read the whole thing to understand the context. And yeah. um, so now I look back and God didn't want my mom to get sick. God didn't want me to be discouraged or have neglect. God didn't want me to have loss. God didn't want my mom to pass. God didn't want her to lose everything. 
God didn't want any of our friends on this call to experience anything bad. But the garden said, the garden showed that we're going to have a broken world. And that's not where our eternity is. Um, and we have free will and we do have choice. And so there is evil and brokenness. I just want to encourage people that he's still working. And yeah. so I really believe that, man. I just, and I just want to, not that you need this. I want to affirm you. Uh, he is using your story. Um, and, and, I, and everybody listening, if you are in that moment right now, uh, this story that he's putting together and that he's working together for good, that is your gift. That is your gift to others around you because you will be able to use that. And man, I just want to affirm you, David, that that's happening now through this and through your story. So thank you for letting him use it. Use your story. Um, I did not realize that uh, that was 24 hours within 24 hours from your night before to the limo and meeting Jessica. That's crazy. Um, and not coincidence. That's really powerful. Yeah. My, my pastor likes to say sometimes it takes more faith to not believe. Yeah. Right. But you know what? The, sometimes in those moments though, it's, that's really difficult. It's really difficult in those moments. It's easier on the other side to say that, but sometimes in those dark moments in our lowest moments, that faith can be a really hard thing sometimes to, to gravitate towards, but he's always there and working and he will use it regardless of our choices and our decisions. So, man, that's powerful. Okay. So one thing on that, and, and I, you don't have to spend too much time on it, but I think this would be valuable to hear your perspective on it because you're in real estate and we just heard, obviously you went through the crash, which is massive. So I want to hear your your kind of answer or thoughts on like seasons of life that you go through and and maybe in specific regards to in business, being in business, being a kingdom-minded business owner, like do you believe in them? What do they look like? And I mean, you've, you've gone through some, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely, man. Um, my real estate brokerage is doing good work. Um, I think we do a great job in the community. I think we do great by our clients and we lost money almost every month this year. Hmm. Um, you know, I've got a mortgage company that hasn't made a dollar in almost two years. I mean, we've made revenue, but expenses have matched it or we haven't yeah. taken a profit in a long time, right? Tell company does good work, but we're not really making money you know, on, on any of them. Um, so I've been using a lot of savings and, and when the pandemic started, we gave out a lot of raises because my relationship with money is not much different than my relationship with any one particular meal. Take it, leave it. It's important, but, um, you need some of it, but you don't need too much of it. You don't need too many meals every day. You can live on one a day. You want three, but you can live on one. Mm. And, and so I don't have a love, hate relationship with money. I have a um, partnership relationship where if, if I'm blessed with it, some's going to go to tithe, some's going to go to other church, some's going to go to the community, and I'm going to give where it's needed. And so I want to encourage people that in the marketplace, you know, I'll tell a quick story. It will probably answer this even better. I was speaking at a real estate conference about seven years ago in Baltimore, John, and and this gentleman after the talk raised his hand during Q&A and he goes, hey, David, this is all cute, warm and fuzzy. He's probably thinking it's airy fairy. He's like, what happens if all you do is just help a lot of people? And I'm using air quotes because he did, I think. And I was like, that's awesome. And he's like, what do you mean? He almost seemed like annoyed. I was like, that's awesome because I'm not a realtor any more than you are, you know, and I'm not a realtor any more than Jesus was a carpenter, maybe a little bit more because he was obviously not a carpenter. Um, but, you know, if all I do is help a lot of people, when I get to heaven, not only will my mom be singing and dancing, but her and Jesus will be proud and my mom will know that her sacrifice was worth it. Um, and, um, 
and our Heavenly Father's sacrifice was worth it with Jesus. And so I just want to encourage, I just want to encourage people in the marketplace that when you're serving and you're not receiving the rewards today, they're going to come and it might be on the other side. And, and then practically, if you believe in what you're doing and you believe you're making a difference, but you, you know, business is tough and money is low, you don't want to be a slave to the debtor, but you also don't want to pivot because that's what the devil wants. The devil wants you to pivot from your marriage. The devil wants you to pivot from your business. The devil wants you to not come home and focus on work, not focus on your marriage because your kids, not focus on your kids because your business. The devil wants to just divide you from the inside out, starting with the covenant of marriage, then with your kids, then with your business. And he wants you to fix your eyes on the wrong things. And, and he'll put a bright light on that. And so I just believe if you're present where you are, like you and I and the gang here today, today in the community, and then you're present at home with your wife, your husband, you're present with your kids, you're present in the community, at church, at the gym. If you're present where you are, then God can work and he will work. But if we're not being present and we're being torn and distracted, then it's kind of like trying to talk to your kid when they're having a, a breakdown. You know, you just have to either redirect or you redirect, either redirect them or redirect yourself. But yeah. it's not going to work, you know. And and so my wife sometimes will say, will ask me a question when I'm at the gym, John. And if I answer, she's like, I thought you were at the gym. And I'm like, I am. She's like, well, then why are you answering? And I'm like, okay, fair enough. You know, she's like, you'll be in better shape if you actually finish where you start, like you tell everyone else. Mm. So I just want to encourage people that business has cycles. The economy has cycles. You know, short-term rates are high right now. Long-term rates are high right now. People don't have government money anymore. People are scared. They're cautious. You know, um, it's a season, right? And, and, and um, But I just want to encourage people that if they know their plans, while we started with my story, your story, their story, if you know your purpose, then you need to stay focused on your purpose with God in the center, your potential with God leading the way. And don't just change course. If I'm taking my family to Disney World and we just drive, we decide to drive and a road is shut down, we don't go home. We just plug in ways and we take a different highway. We take a different route. We take a break, but we don't go home. We might eat lunch. We might go to a rest stop. We'll just look for another way on the map. But if we know we're going to Disney World, we're not going to stop and turn around. So I just want to encourage people to not stop and turn around. That even when Jesus said, why have I been forsaken? Is there another way? He knew, and I believe that was rhetoric, right? I mean, he he, he was God in human flesh. He knew he had to finish what he started. We yeah. all need it. Um, and when you least expect it, the devil will move on and the business will flourish again. When you keep, when you keep your focus on Jesus as the master versus money. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, if you're listening right now, you really need to back up and listen to that. I think that is so applicable for where we are, especially as a kingdom-minded business owner in the marketplace right now. Um, listen to that again, because if we get caught up in the comparison game and the world or the pharaoh mindset of what success looks like, we are all going to feel like failures. Um, but if we can change our perspective and our purpose and realize our purpose and keep that as a forefront, man, that is really powerful, especially right now. So I want to piggyback off of that because you go into, um, you, you end up making a switch in brokerages, right? You, you're going to move to Keller Williams here in a bit. And so, and that's a big choice when you're in real estate, there's a whole lot involved there and you don't have to get super deep, but here's my question because it's piggybacking right off of what we talked about pivoting and changing. How did you know at that time that was the right decision? What was well, it? Go ahead. Yeah, I was at Alan Tate. Mr. Tate was my mentor. 
Um, but I feel like I needed more support, you know, when, when, um, when I went through the downturn in the market, mm-hmm. um, when I, you know, one of the reasons that my first marriage didn't work is because I was so focused on work. You know, I wasn't being present. Um, I was so focused on helping every client. And so I needed to build it. And Scott Williams had a great platform for that. And so that was a blessing. And, and I did that um, for many years until 2020. And we opened our own brokerage. Um, and so that's been a blessing too. You know, it's, it's just a different, it's just a different season. You know, you just, you get to where, okay, it's time to, it's time to grow or change. And, you know, the only relationship that cannot change is the covenant of marriage. You know, like, you know, like as a father, as a mother, you go from leading and discipling to being the best friend, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later, the relationship changes, you know, in business, you might go in and out of a relationship with people. You might go into different relationships, maybe they become a partner. But in marriage, you just serve unconditionally. That is your spouse for life. And, and that relationship does not change. Hopefully it grows. It has its down times and downturns at the moment. But long term, it just improves and it's beautiful. But it never changes. You know, we're not called to divorce. We're not called to leave. We're just to leave the locked door on the outside. Um, but in business, I was always thinking, I'm not thinking, is there better? I'm just always thinking, how can I grow to my true potential and how can I encourage and empower others? And so that was just a good opportunity when I made that change in 2013. Um, and then in 2020, when we went on our own, um, it almost made sense because the pandemic, we were alone and we were alone to ourselves. And so we just kind of had to do a lot more alone. And so it just kind of made sense. And, but at the end of the day, you know, I've got great, great relationships with both Allentine and Kel Williams, and I have so much respect for both companies. And, and it's easy because our identity is not found in who we are or where we work. Our identity is not found in our success or failures, in our rankings or recognition. And so your brand, your company is essentially irrelevant, John. Like the older I get, the less I care what people think of me. And, you know, the less I carry a business card or a calling, I just want to be the salt and light. I just want to be a good example, a good reflection. And so I think the world, I think the world wants us to lead with our job. I think the world wants us to lead with our successes and our rankings and our, our grade scale. And, you know, like in school, like, did you get an A or a B? I tell my kids, like, just do your best. Like, it doesn't really matter. I didn't have straight A's in school. I was not the best student. I couldn't sit still for life of me. Um, I just want to encourage people that where they work, what they do in their job, if they're being a positive example, if they're being a, a, a salt and light, and if they're reaching their true potential, whatever that looks like, you said it a few minutes ago, you alluded to it. I was talking to a friend who's a professional athlete, and he's got a fairly high level of success. But he's like, man, I know people higher than me. And they know people higher than them. And they know people higher than them. And no matter how high you go, there's always going to be someone higher on the ladder. And um, and then you get to the top and you're thinking, like, where's my wife? Where are my kids? And that's what the world will do. The world will take your soul and give you everything you ask for, even though it's not what you need. And so I just want to encourage people in the marketplace to just stay the course and just keep doing what you're doing. Keep your head down. Be present at work. Then come home and be present at home. Be present in the community. Then go be present in the church. And then just repeat. And, and when someone says, how do you do that? How do you stay faithful in the storm? How do you stay fearless in the stress? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you where I, where I find my strength. Um, and so 
I think I had that before I knew him. Um, he was always working. That's biblical. I mean, like he's always there. You just have to let him in. And um, it just took me a long time, man. I was, I, I learned a lot of things early, but sometimes my wife likes to say that I make mistakes, but I don't make them twice. And I think that came, John, from the regret with my mom. Mm, I'm, yeah. I had a regret. I don't want to have a second. People say no regrets. We've all had a regret. The goal is not to have a second, a third, a fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So talk us through um, this pregnancy stage. And so, and and really, you can give us a little context in this, but you're, you and Jessica, she was pregnant at the time. You had a very interesting um, message from God during your last son's pregnancy, right? And you were at church and you heard something. I know you have to back up a little bit and give us some context, but this is a really powerful story. And and here's what I'm looking for. You, you made a statement in the book and it says, when you're at church, you're, you're beginning now to understand and distinguish the difference between God's concise voice and your own voice. And that's a big key here. So maybe paint the picture a little bit for us, how you got here, and then speak to that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And um, maybe let the Bedhams know, I don't know if they're going to listen to this, but I was with them for lunch before that time, maybe like 2011 or 12, 13. You know, my, my second son was born in 17. And I'll never forget, I was all proud that I listened to worship music, you know, and um, Dave and Jason are smiling, looking at each other. And then um, David goes, hey, man, so what's your what's your refrigerator sound like? And I'm like, man, I hope it doesn't sound like anything. And Jason's like, really, it doesn't make any noise. And they were kind of like tag teaming me in a good way. And, um, you know, you, you know, they're, they're just they're just great about that. And and um, cause they just love the Lord and they're just they have a great, beautiful way of articulating it. They're like, well, tonight after the kids go to bed, and maybe, maybe I just had my older son, Kane, in time. He's like, check the refrigerator noise. So after Jess goes to bed, I think I had Kane at time, my oldest. I started listening and I sent him a text. I'm like, holy cow, dude, it's pretty loud. I'm like, yep. When you're in the car, if you listen to worship music, that's good. But you know, it'd be great listening to Jesus, you know, and like, how do you hear his voice when you're playing all these other things, all the chaos in your house, you can't hear the refrigerator any more than all the music in your car. You can't hear him. And um, so I'm in church, you know, we have our older son. We lost two little girls. My wife is really sick with all these autoimmune issues and ailments and her body's shutting down. Mm. And she's being told, you know, like, that's why you lost these girls. And, and we're pregnant with Knox and she wakes up and, you know, a, a woman knows her body best. And she's like, I lo- we lost him. And I'm heartbroken, but I ask, and she's like, I can't go to church. And I ask if I can go. And I go, and halfway through, I heard him say, he's okay. And I called my wife in the lobby. I'm like, hey, Knox is going to be okay. And she was mad. She's like, are you kidding me? Now's not the time. And I, I don't know what to say. I was like, like crying. And, and, and she goes, wait a minute. Like, you really heard him? And I'm like, yes, he's okay. She's like, oh, wow. And, and then became happy tears. The next day, I went to the doctor, and Knox was perfectly fine. And He's a beautiful six and a half year old boy now. And, um, but all the signs we lost him, you know, like physical, like just all that stuff. Um, but God just gave me, it's far from perfect, John, but I, I spent a lot more time with God than almost anyone else. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes it's audible, you know, every few years, you know, he told me it's going to be a season with her health issues. And I told Jessica that, and she kept saying, you said it was going to be a season because God said that. And she kept saying like, God, this only be a season. So it gave us this focus. Um, when the pandemic started, I felt the calling that God said, 
in the next three years, you're going to have a little girl. Well, I had a vasectomy. Like, I'm not bringing a girl into this world. Yeah. Um, he said, you're going to write this book. You're going to tell the story. And I said, yes, sir, <laughs> to both. And sure enough, we have this little girl now who's almost 10 years old. And this book is out there. And and um, so I just answered the call. And I had a friend not too long ago ask me, how come you have no stress? I'm like, that's the wrong question. Because only the cemetery has no stress. I have a lot of stress. But it doesn't bother me as often or as much as it may the average person because one, I have perspective, and two, my expectations are not of bliss. You know, I expect the storm. You know, it's how we how we move in the storm. It's how mm. we handle the storm. It's how we react. And um, so I don't wake up each day expecting a perfect day. I do strive for excellence um, in each aspect of my life because we should always be striving to be the best with what God's given us. But I don't expect the storms to pass. Um, I don't expect the storms not to come, John. And mm. a lot of that was just my whole life of just like learning how to deal in the storms. So it's kind of like being prepared for the army. You know, like I've been a soldier for a long time without knowing it. And now I'm just a soldier for Jesus. And so, you know, for me, like I had no doubt that Knox was going to be okay. But 20 minutes earlier, I thought we lost him. Yeah. But God just gives me this peace. And and he's there for all of us. I think sometimes we something doesn't go right in our business or our marriage or in our kids. You know, our goals don't work out, our plans, and it's discouraging and it's disheartening and it's heartbreaking at times. But I think a lot of times it's because it wasn't his plan. You know, a lot of times it's our own prayers for what. You know, it's almost like as a kid, my kids will say, "Hey, Dad, can I have pizza for dinner, or can I have brownies for breakfast, or?" Can I play outside and it's nighttime or it's raining? And I say, no. And they might get mad at me, John, but it's because I'm not doing what they want. Just Mm. because God's not doing what you want doesn't mean that you should. You know, he's redirecting you for your own protection. So I had that perspective that he's always been there. And um, and so I, I try my best, far from perfect, I try my best to listen to him, to watch for the signs and the triggers, to lean on him. When, when I'm struggling, to lean on him for true discipleship and discernment um, and to not lean on my own understanding. And so yeah. he's always there. I just want to encourage people that he's always there. Yeah, that's so good and powerful coming from your background and story. So really, we've talked a lot about your background now and your story. I want to just pivot just for a little bit here and talk about, so the second half of his book, again, um, relationship over rules, go get the book. It's in all the stores too. Uh, the second half is really practical. And so if you, if you an avid reader or not, some of the books that annoy me the most are the ones that are very theoretical and everything is like, wow, these are all great ideas, but they don't give you it. Now what, what's the next, right? But that's not this book. The part two is very practical and tangible ways of diving into relationships. But before we get into that, I want to ask you this. So you mentioned kind of on the bridge going into the part two here about how, and I think it was during your expansion time, um, but you were always available to your clients. You were overextended, overreached, and you were more transactional based than people based. And my question to you is this, is, you know, seeing someone who has come through and they're a success, a lot of them have a period of their life where they've done that. And now they're on the other side saying, uh, you know, I might, I probably would have valued relationships or I would have done something different here. But the question I have to you is, do you think you still would have had the same opportunities that you have now had you operated differently uh, during that expansion period? 
you know, I, I think that every season is there for a reason, John. Um, I learned so much. You know, in 2015, I ran for mayor of my small town. I raised the most money. I had all the support, and it scared people. And my consultant said, you should have ran for Congress or Senate, you know, because I'm an outwork people. Um, I'm going to give more than I take. And and it, that scares people. Um, but what it did is it scratched an itch. It made me realize that I can make a difference without having an election. I can make, I can have influence in a positive way without the position. Leadership is not position leadership. And so expansion was the same way. I met great people, but I just got spread too thin. And um, and so then I thought I was helping all these people and really I was helping no one. You know, the more I left Charlotte, the less I was present at home or my Charlotte hub where I am now. The more I traveled, the less I wasn't in another location or helping my clients. And so I was trying to be everything to everyone. I ended up being no one to anyone. And so I needed that, though. I needed that. You know, I needed the season of not working out to be like, OK, that's what happens when a 40 year old doesn't work out. You know, when a 20 year old doesn't work out, when a 30 year old doesn't work out, you don't really notice it. But, but being 43, if I look at pizza, I gain weight. If I take a day off from the gym, I gain weight. Like, so once you've learned that, I'm grateful for mistakes. I love mistakes. I don't want to make the same one twice, John, but I love mistakes because mm. it keeps me from that fear of missing out. I just learn and, and it's the best leadership experience I can ever have is through the mistakes, through the failures you know, in, in the pit. Um, and so for me, I, I believe that I needed those seasons. I needed a season where a marriage didn't work out because I was so focused on work. I needed the expansion season where I was so focused on work. So I've been in these, like, I've always known the right things. Hmm. You know, it's like, um, but but I've had those seasons because I'm far from perfect of, you know, do what they say now as I do. And so hmm. being a dad now, being a leader, I need to lead by example. And, and it's very clear. And so, you know, what, what I shared earlier, one of the struggles with the book one of the challenges was reliving my past, both from a trauma standpoint, but also from, I don't want to show up as a victim. Um, but another one is just putting it out there, you know, putting it out there. And so now I have to, I have to really care about relationships. You know, I do, I do, but it's no different than you don't hire a personal trainer, John, to tell you to not eat French fries and cheeseburgers. Yeah. You hire a personal trainer to hold you accountable to not eating. You know the right things to do. We know what's right from wrong, but we have a sinful nature. We are born mm. self-righteous. And so we need that accountability. We need brothers, iron sharpening iron. We need friends that love the Lord and that won't judge, but will hold accountable. And um, and so I believe that those seasons you know, when the economy crashed, when I was doing the expansion, when I was running for office, when I when I say yes to things and they're not the right opportunities, at least for me, sometimes it needs to happen. You know, you need mm. to do it. You need to go through that season. And so I don't regret it because I would rather make a mistake and learn than always say what if or, or wonder what if. You know, um, when, when I got this opportunity to talk with you, I just said yes. You know, every opportunity, if it's with someone I respect, like you and the Benhams, I just say yes. I don't say yes to other people that I don't know, because that doesn't allow me to say yes to people that I do know that God puts in my life. And so my goal now is instead of expanding around the world and trying to bring in new people that could be great friends, I made some great friends in expansion, it's to go deeper and be a true brother with the people already in my life. And, and to just say yes to people that have already been put in my life, that have already shown me love. 
Um, and it's an easy way to live. And that's where the stress doesn't show up because just don't commit to something you can't follow through on. And if mm. you put it on the calendar, it doesn't come off. Yeah. I love that. And, and you're leading right into what, what I hope we would get to, you know, so part two is, okay, relationships are important. And I hope, uh, and I, and I believe that most people listening to this podcast are, um, kingdom minded, God centered. And so relationships are important to you. And, but sometimes, especially if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, you get lost in that hamster wheel of trying to keep going, trying to keep your nose above water, keep everything going and relationships, if you're not careful can suffer. And so I love the part two of this book. So g- can you give us number one? Uh, cause I think it's one of the best practical things that somebody can do of where to start on, you know, relationships are important. Okay. What does that mean? How do I start? What's, what's number one there for you? Yeah. And, and, and we're all guilty of the following, John, and, and I'm going to be in the front of the line raising my hand. We're all guilty of being reactive, not proactive. You know, we have the best intentions. We have a heart for service and caring about others and we value relationships. But, you know, I've got the higher pressure light on my car for two weeks now. I've got the service light on the car and I'm getting done finally next Friday. I called yesterday, two weeks later. And so every day I see that my tires are low and every day I see I need service, but it's not a top priority because it still runs. But then one of these days, if I don't call, I get a flat tire. I'm like, oh man, I should have called a month ago, right? But I knew I need to take care of my car. I know relations matter. I know car maintenance is important. I know going to the gym this afternoon is important. I know not eating cheeseburgers and fries is important. So sometimes we know what's right. We know relations matter. But then we're like, okay, well, if someone calls me who's in my life, I'll help them. What are we calling them? Are we giving more than we take? Are we creating the problem? Sometimes we're scared to create the problem because we're like, well, I only have five minutes. I can leave a message, but what if they actually respond? <laughs> what if they actually reciprocate? Yeah. And so I just want to encourage people that if they have five people in their life or 5,000, to reach out to everyone in their life in the next 30 days. Find a way to celebrate their successes or meet them where they are in their challenges and help them in their tragedies. Everyone needs something. But if someone hasn't called you in the last month for their own flat tire, if someone hasn't called you in the last week with their own struggles and their marriage or their finance or their kids, then they think we're too busy. And, and so I just want to encourage people that if it's been a week or it's been 10 years, don't wait another moment. If we do value relationships, we can't wait any longer. We need to create the problem, even if we may not know the response. Um, and so I spent a lot of my time just checking in with people. I spent a lot of my focus on people that maybe they bought a home five years ago. Maybe I met them 10 years ago and they've never needed anything, but I just, I never know. And so I'm always checking in A to Z text messages, phone calls, handwritten notes, emails, drop-bys, just, hey, John, how are you? Can I help you with anything? You know, how's your family? What are you going through? How can I help you? I'm here for you. Um, that's want to encourage people that, again, if they have five people or even just one or a hundred, check in with everyone. It doesn't take long. Um, just like going to the gym doesn't take long. Just like um, showing your wife her love language doesn't take long. Just like being home for dinner doesn't take long. You know, um, you're never going to regret spending time with your kids or your spouse. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E, and most women do too. Um, and so I just want to encourage everyone to check in with those that were there for them when they when they needed something, because they probably do now. You know, John, a lot of times we hear, well, I've checked in, but I haven't heard back. I want to encourage them that they are hearing back. And they need to double down and triple down. Ego is edging God out. Our ego says, well, I never heard back. I'm not going to keep calling them. I don't have time to just keep checking in. Well, you're not checking in to receive. You're checking in to give. 
You're showing mm. them that you care about them, even if they don't respond. When yeah. when when Jesus walked and then went on the cross, he didn't do it to receive. He didn't do it for our response. He did it unconditionally. Our father sacrificed his only son, Abraham style. I cannot imagine what Abraham was willing to do with Isaac. Mm. We just need to check in and check our pride, check our ego. Again, ego edging God out. And we just need to give. I think sometimes we say, well, I've checked in enough. If they really need something, they'll respond. Or I don't want to hear what they're going to say because it's been a long time. Or maybe they won't pick me in the marketplace. Or they didn't pick me in the marketplace. Well, that's not a real relationship. Real relationship is not always bilateral. Sometimes it is unilateral where you have to give without expecting to receive. Because in the transaction, you give consideration or you give a service, they give consideration. That's not a relationship. We talked about this a little bit earlier. A relationship is when you give unconditionally like Jesus, when you give grace and mercy that might not be deserved and you're present for them. And that's when they say, I've got a flat tire. My marriage is struggling. My money is tight. I'm struggling with my kids. I need someone. And it's amazing what happens next because we all need someone. We all need a brother or a sister that can literally be there for us unconditionally. I don't even have an Instagram page because, you know, I've got Facebook and social media is good to some extent if it doesn't come in idle. And so I have enough money to take care of my family. I have enough social media to communicate with those that I can't meet in person. And that's it. You know, I, I, I don't want any masters to be recognition. There's nothing on our walls at home or in the marketplace. There's nothing about rankings or recognition or rewards or trophies. None of that. No statues, nothing that can take my eye off of him. And so um, I just I just want to encourage people that the people in your life, even the ones you don't hear from, you're hearing from. So you just need to show them that you're present and you're there for them. I love that. I heard uh, I heard you on a, I think it was a training and you were kind of doing an audit with the people about have you had somebody who's, you know, raise your hand. Have you had somebody reach out to you recently, change their flat tire? And if you're listening to this, do it. Take just a minute or two after listening to this and just think about when's the last time somebody reached out to you to help with their car or opened up to you about their marriage struggles or something that was going on at home. And if you can't think of any, you know, really look inward and are you being present? And, and those kind of those three rules, guidelines that you go by, are you present? Are you being present with them? And are you showing up as the friend that they need or the expert? Um, that, that was so such a powerful exercise just to do an audit like that, because we, at the end of the day, we all can have core values. And I think we would all say relationships are important, but until we, act, how do we really know what's important to us? Well, you just look at how you're spending your time. And so if that hasn't come up in our lives recently, I know it got me to really think, wow, um, how can I nurture and show up better for those around me? The people that God already put in my life, instead of going out, especially in, in the marketplace, it's easy to go out. We got to get more and more and more and more. And that's, you know, and, and coach Eric Beck has talked to us a lot about this in this community about that's the feral mindset. You know, it isn't more, more, more it's in the kingdom economy, it's people uh, and, and God's already put the people in your life. And so, okay, I got, I got so much more, but just two things I want to get it wrapped up. Cause I know you've, you've given us a lot of time already. Um, you mentioned in your book, uh, and, and I'm going to go back a little bit, although this was in part two about there was a time in middle school where somewhere deep inside of you, you got this determination that you weren't going to, you were going to be different than your father. And I'm curious as to what was that moment that said, okay, this is my past. This was my conditioning. This is what the rules and what culture says I'm going to be. But 
this is my resolve. Like I'm going to be different. What was that moment? Because I think, and the reason I ask it here in part two is because I think so many times, again, we as business owners and as humans can get caught in a rut and stuck in a rut of this is what we're supposed to do because of all these events and that awareness could come. But until we take some type of responsibility to, to be different, um, you know, we're going to have, we're going to get what we have already. And so I'm curious for you what it was in that moment. Yeah, he left, you know, so he left me behind. Um, and so he wasn't there, you know? Um, and, and so when I think about relationships that we talked about a couple minutes ago, John, out of sight, out of mind. Right. And, um, and, and so once he left and, and so now, you know, I was taken from my mom and then left behind again. Um, I was like, okay, fending for myself now. Um, I'm going to look at everything. I'm going to say, thank you for showing me how not to be. And, and, um, and I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to do my very best to be a friend, to one day be the husband my wife deserves and make mistakes all the time, to one day be the father that my kids deserve, make mistakes all the time. But I'm going to be present in their lives. I'm going to show them love. I'm going to give them what I feel like I've never had or, um, mm. or what I get 10 hours a year from my mom. And, and so, yeah, when, 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 there was no, when he wasn't there anymore, then, um, then it was clear. You know, sometimes you have to be left alone with no noise, no chaos to hear the refrigerator, right? You got to be, you have to shut off the music, even the worship music to hear Jesus. Mm. And so once I was alone, that's when I started seeing and hearing a lot more and um, fully alone. I felt like I was alone for a long time, but, but that's, yeah, that's when, mm. when my father left the house and I was left there, um, it made me realize that, you know, I got to fend for myself and um, what I was already feeling like I was doing. But um, it gives you perspective. You know, when, when people say now, when they ask me, John, you know, why do you value relationships? You're like the relationship guy. First, I'm like, well, first of all, guys, my goal one day is for that not to be relevant anymore because it's, you know, the rules are the same as the relationships. You know, the whole reason for the book is that the world talks about rules being different than relationships. Everyone says they value relationships, but then the day, it's hard to quantify that. It doesn't pay your mortgage. It doesn't help with your business. It doesn't help with your family in the surface. It doesn't help on paper. You know, it's hard to really, it's not tangible. It's really hard to wrap your mind around how to look outward always, not knowing if you'll ever receive, you know, dollars and you can't look in the mirror. It kind of reminds me of working out. You go to the gym today for 10 hours, 20 hours, two hours. You're not going to see any results. You go in tomorrow, no results. When you least expect it, you're like, wow, my pants are fitting better. I look better in a camera. You know, I feel better myself. I got more energy. I'm sleeping better. You never know when the results will show up. You just have to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, so for me, you know, um, I had a lot of time. I mean, we talk about not having time. You know, time is something that everyone says they manage time. No one manages time. Time management is a farce because that, that clock just goes no matter what you do. You know, the same 168, 24 7, and it just moves no matter what. You cannot manage it. You can't fast forward. You can't stop. You can't move. The time just goes. It's all about priority. What's urgent and important versus what the world tells you is urgent and important. So for me, John, growing up, I had a lot of time. <laughs> That's the one gift I did have. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of perspective and a lot of time. So I had a lot of time to think about the perspective. And to stay thankful in the little things. Um, and yeah. so it all became easy, to be honest. It was easy to work hard. It was easy to be grateful for relationships. 
because it brought me so much happiness and so much peace, so much fulfillment to just have one person who gave me a chance. You know, um, yeah. I just wanted one. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Last question. So on relationships, um, and, and in the book, again, I encourage you to read this because we didn't touch any, really any of the practical things here that are in the book that you can really ingrain into your everyday actions. But I want to ask you this. So relationships are important. Obviously we, we've set that foundation. Jesus had 12 deep relationships. How do you prioritize, you know, you, you mentioned touching base with 30 pe- uh, with your friends and your close people every 30 days. How does somebody make that list when, and how do you go deep with as many people as you can, or how do you figure that balance out personally? Yeah. First of all, you keep tough relationships, but not toxic. So if someone's toxic, cut them out, forgive, but don't forget and don't keep. Second of all, cut out anything that's not your expertise. Your expertise is relationships. Someone else's expertise might be um, another space in the marketplace, like administrative hire. Don't be worried about the money. If you really dig deep with all the relationships, you'll have more opportunities to serve and more dollars you know what to do with. So bless others. Take everything off your calendar. Create the problem. That's the first step. Create the problem. Just reach out to everyone and see what happens next. Yeah. yeah. The second problem is take out toxic relationships. And the third, because we've had clients that we've not kept. We've had clients who said, I want to sell my house with you. It's a multi-millionaire home. We've said, no, thank you. Mm. We've had big clients that... um if our values are not in alignment, John, they can't stay. But for the ones that do, we're going to create the problem of like, wow, I've got 20 coffees next week. How do I do that? Okay, well, I delegate everything else. Nothing is more important in the workday than the relationships. Nothing is more important at home than your spouse and kids. Nothing is more important in the church and the community than Jesus. And God should be in the center of all things. If he's in the center of all things, then wherever you are could be first. But I think it's the biggest struggle you just said. So that's a great question is, I don't have enough time for all these people. You don't have enough time not for these people. Hmm. What else matters than those people? Yeah. Love your neighbor like yourself. And so I just want to encourage everyone to create the problem. Like, hey, Dave, man, all these people want to meet. All these people need something. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Um, just leverage everything else out and just spend all your time with all these people that God has put in your life. Yeah. That's powerful. Okay, the book, again, Relationships Over Rules, Seven Principles to Lead Gracefully and Love Generously. Uh, Website is relationshipoverrules.com. And if you're listening to this, I really would challenge you to pick this up, Um, especially knowing our community, knowing who's listening to this. You will benefit from this. You will have deeper relationships. You'll have practical. At the end of each point in part two, he gives you step-by-step Okay, how do you do an audit on yourself and how do you really put this into place? This isn't just a high theoretical type of book. It's a practical, let's deepen the relationships and really make them important, which I believe is what the kingdom economy is about. So, um, and, and it's in Barnes and Noble and some other stores on Amazon. So you can look it up there as well. And and also I'd ask you to do this, share this show. Um, this is a really important message, I believe, especially in today's culture where we have a lot of comparison going on. And information traveling so fast, it's easy to to lose out on those deep relationships. So uh, I would just challenge you to share this with somebody who needs it um, or put it on your socials to really get David's message out there and really get a story out there. Because the fact that, you know, we all have a story, but for an individual to really choose and take on the challenge of being open, vulnerable, and share that story, um, it, it's a God calling. It's something that only God does inside of you. 
but not everybody answers. And so, David, I just really appreciate you jumping on here and being willing to share that with everybody that's listening today. And I'm excited too, because uh, if you're part of the owner suite or expert ownership, we're going to have them on a public webinar coming up. So I, I'm really excited about that. And maybe we'll even get to do a little bit of a more of a workshop on some of those practical things that we could do. So David, thank you for your time. Any closing thoughts you want to just kind of leave anybody with? I appreciate it, John. And I just want to encourage everyone who's listening that they're more than enough, that what they're going through will pass and just to stay focused, to focus on the goodness in their own backyard, in their own home. And I just want to encourage them that no matter how much strife's going on, no matter how much discouragement, disheartenment, depression might be right in front of them, no matter how tough it feels in their marriage, in the marketplace, that it, it will pass and that they are making a difference and just keep going. And if they're reaching out and either hearing nothing or getting pushed back, to just keep going, just keep pushing. And for anyone who works out, I know you look like you're in good shape, John. I know the Benhams are always working out hard. They're in great. Once you start seeing the results, then you keep going, right? I just want to encourage people to go even without the results because they may never see the results because it might not be external. It might okay. be inside someone else and you never know you never know until you get to heaven who you've impacted. So I just want to encourage everyone, no matter what they're going through, it will pass and they're making more of a difference than they imagine. Just don't don't ever give up. That's so good. So powerful. I needed that today. I know many others uh, listening needed that as well. So thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. And I uh, hope everyone has a great week. Thank you, John. Thank you, guys. I've been really, really feeling it. Feeling it. About to bust a move, watch out